Anybody remember those highlight magazines, right? You're, you're waiting in the doctor's office and mom doesn't want you running around, so she gives you the highlight magazine. There was always something in there. There was the hidden pictures, but there was also a spot, the difference. Um, can we go to the next slide, Steve? Because uh, we're going to play this game today. Uh, okay, the next slide, sorry. All right, I want you to look at this picture that is up here. A little sand crab, I guess, is what he is. Now let's go to the next slide. And we're going to play this game. Can you spot the difference between picture one on the left and picture two on the right? If somebody sees one, just raise your hand. Don, tell me one. The shovel. The shovel has switched. Very good. Somebody else. Yeah. The claws have come together instead of out there. Very good. Anything else? Yes, sir. Say again. The clouds. The cloud has come back down a little bit. Very good. Yes. The starfish. Yeah, there's more on the right-hand side than the the left-hand side. We've added some starfish. Uh, Yes, Pam. There's more birds. Very good. Yeah, there's a couple more birds on the right-hand side. Yes. Oh, that was the, probably, for me, the toughest one to find. Because it says, hey, there are, and they, they gave me however many. And, you know, you, you get all of them but one, and you're going, where is that one? And, and yeah, on the sandcastle down at the bottom, there's, uh, on the right-hand side, there's a little flag. But on the left-hand side, there is not. The, the, these are fun, huh? Spot the differences. But, because it really kind of sharpens your mind. Uh, I, I love that game, and, and today's flannel graph foundation story is all about spotting the difference in a couple of different ways, actually. Um, so uh, as I go through the story, I want you to do some detective work and try to figure out what is the story of spotting the difference. All right, so Jesus, uh, a couple weeks ago we talked about how he walked on the water and Peter walked out on the water with him. There was another time where Jesus calmed the storm. He was asleep in the boat, had made his disciples uh, leave ministry, get into the boat. They were going to the other side of the lake. When a storm hit, Jesus was asleep in the back. That's how not worried he was about it. But these experienced fishermen, they were terrified. They woke him up and he says, guys, I was sleeping. I was resting. You woke me up for this? You, You don't have very much faith. And he uh, rebuked the wind and the waves, and they calmed down. And then they arrived on the other side of, of the lake. Now, in this region, there had been a man that had many demons living inside of him. He was a demon-possessed man. And, and this is found, uh, by the way, in, in Mark chapter 5. And they, the, the people of the town had sent him away to live far away from the town, in the tombs, where it was very unclean for people to live. They they would bind him with chains, and he was so wild. The, the, The demons made him so wild that he would break those chains, and he would take rocks and cut himself, and he would scare off anybody that would come out in a very threatening manner. You can see how these men were trying to subdue him and and keep him from uh, messing with their life as they would take him to the tombs and bind him with the chains. As soon as Jesus and his disciples came onto the shore, though, all of a sudden they saw 
this madman, this demon-possessed man screaming at the top of his lungs. And he ran at them as they came out of the boat. I'm sure that the disciples were very, very afraid. But Jesus got out of the boat and he just stood there. And the demon-possessed man flung himself down at the feet of Jesus. And he says, what do you want from me, you son of God? Swear that you won't torture me. Jesus said to him, what is your name? And he said, oh, my name is Legion, because there are so many of us inside this man. And Jesus said, I want, I command you to come out of this man. Now, the, 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 the legion of demons begged Jesus to not send them back into the abyss. And so they asked Jesus, if we leave this man, can we go into the pigs? You see, there was a, a, a herd of pigs being tended nearby. And so Jesus gave permission for the demons to exit the man and to go into the pigs. And immediately, immediately, the pigs went wild and they ran into a cliff, over a cliff and into the water where they drowned. Those who were tending the pigs were very upset, obviously, and they ran into the town to tell them what had just happened. And when the townspeople came out, they saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they freaked out. They said, Jesus, you must leave our region. We don't want you here. So Jesus was going to get back on the boat, and the man said, can I please go with you, Jesus? And Jesus said, no, you're going to stay here and tell people what I have done for you. And then Jesus left the region, and the man went and told people what God had done for him. All righty, so that's the story. That's the story of the demon-possessed man in the region of the Decapolis. Now, the first picture that we have for us challenges, that challenges us to spot the difference is the story of this man himself. Now, just on a side note, for people who doubt the existence of demons or, or, or the dark spiritual realm and how it can influence us, for, for those of you who think demon possession is just a, a thing of Hollywood fiction, well, let me tell you, the Bible is very, very, very clear that demons do exist. We're, we're told that our struggle is not really against flesh and blood, but it's actually a spiritual battle. The, that neighbor that's annoying you, that's not just a, a, an annoyance uh, of a physical nature. There's a spiritual war going on. Uh, the, uh, the relative that just is belligerent and hates you for what you believe, that's not just a conflict between you and your brother-in-law. That's a conflict that is a spiritual conflict. It, even the, the conflict that you have within yourself is, as you, you might be struggling with uh, addictions and, and things like that, and you just you can't get over those kinds of things. You need to understand that there is a, there is a war going on. Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the dark forces of this world. The Bible is very clear that the spiritual realm is a reality. Just because we don't see it on a day-to-day -day basis doesn't mean it does not exist. 
Actually, that probably means is that we are so blinded by our material world that we can't comprehend something that we can't see or taste or feel or hear. But it's a reality. And we have to be aware of that reality so that we can actually focus on the real problem. Do you, do you know what a hemophiliac is? It's a person who has uh, a condition in their body that their blood cannot clot. So if they cut themselves, they just they bleed. And they can bleed out if, if they don't take care of that. What, what I talk about is if you don't understand the idea of a spiritual war going on, then when you're trying to fix your problems and, and you don't realize that it's, there's a root cause to your problems, it's like putting Band-Aids on a hemophiliac. You're thinking you might be doing something right and stopping the bleeding, but there is still a problem inside. So you can, you can go to self-help books all you want. You can go to meetings all you want until you realize that your struggle is a, a, a spiritual struggle, then you will never be able to find the answers. And that's why, that's why one of the strategies of the devil is, is something that C.S. Lewis had uh, made an observation. He said, you know what? The, the greatest trick the devil ever played on humanity is by tr- making them think that he does not exist. See, if we just put him as a little character in, in red pajamas and, and, and horns and a pitchfork and a tail, if we just talk about that like little stories, then we, then we dismiss this whole idea of a spiritual world. And now we have neglected to find out what the real problem is and we will never get to true healing. That's really what this first picture of Spot the Difference is all about. But because of the demonic influence in this man's life, we see on the one side a very tragic illustration of what sin can do to you. Now, let, let me also say one more thing. Where the Holy Spirit lives, a dark spirit cannot live. So if you're going to leave here today getting freaked out by thinking, oh my goodness, maybe I could be demon-possessed. If you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, Jesus says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, there is not one demon that can come in and take possession of your body. Okay? But they can influence you. They can sure influence you. They can't live inside you, but they can influence you. And literally, when we see this man, that the image of God, that the God-breathed image, has been marred because of what sin can do to you. We see a picture of isolation, of insanity, of insubordination. A man who's out of touch, out of control, out of his mind. How did that happen? How did that happen? I I want to take you in your mind to an amusement park. You've been to amusement parks, right? And uh, you're standing in that two-hour, three-hour line to get onto that really exciting uh, ride. And right there at the front of that line, as, as you start to, to, to get to the, to the queue, there's the sign, right? And the sign says, listen, if you have a back problem, if you have heart issues, if you're pregnant, if you're short, you can't ride this ride, right? Um, my daughter, Donovan, when she was seven years old, she was, we, we were able to go to Disneyland and California Disney, the park right next door to uh, Disneyland. And as a seven-year-old, she was waiting for that rite of passage where she could go on California Screamin', 
which is the, the fastest roller coaster that, that uh, California Disney can offer. It's, it's really not that fast, but it's the fastest thing there. And for a seven-year-old, whoa, I'm going to be able to go. Well, we, we didn't realize, no, kiddo, you're still two inches too short. <laughs> so we got to the, the sign, and it says you must be this high. And there was a lady there. I'm just going to call her the lady, the lady who worked for Disney, who looked at Donovan and said, come here. And she brought Donovan to the sign. And sure enough, two inches too short. Donovan was crushed. And as a good father, I, I, uh, I put her on the Neptune carousel while I went on California screaming. Uh, she, was, she was crying. She was devastated. So Daddy thought of something that, that should have worked. A little bit later on, we came back to California Screaming, and I had her go into the bathroom that was right there and bring out a bunch of paper towels. Then I had her take off her shoes, and then we stuffed the bottom of her shoes underneath her feet with a bunch of paper towels to make her a little bit taller, to give her a little bit of a lift. Then we saw there at the, the front of the line, the lady wasn't there. <laughs> it was a young kid, so we got in there, and he let her through. So we stand now in this line, and right there at the very end of the line, after standing in line for over an hour, we get there, they open up the gates, she's starting to walk to that, that car, and the lady is right there at the end of the line, and she goes, hey, come here. She had her stand. Now, she was an inch taller than she had been an hour previous uh, because of the, uh, the, uh, the uh, paper towels in her shoe. But she was not able to ride because of the sign. Because of the sign. What's my point? You really can't get around the rules, can you, for the most part? You can try. You, you can try to avoid the consequences and, and the rules of the game, but you, you can't really get around the rules. This demon-possessed man, he had entered into the devil's amusement park, and he thought that he didn't have to really pay attention to the signs. Like Ravi Zacharias once said, he, Ravi Zacharias uh, just recently passed away, he, it was a, he's a brilliant theologian, a wonderful speaker, wonderful teacher, I, I loved listening to Ravi he, he one time said, you know, sin will take you always farther than you intended to go, keep you there longer than you intend to stay, and will cost more than you intend to pay. That's, a, I wish, I wish that I could have come up with something like that. What a brilliant, what a brilliant observation about sin. Sin will always take you farther, I, I'm going to break this down, sin will always take you farther than you intend on going. This man did not wake up one day and say, hey, I, I want to be demon-possessed. I, I, I want to buy a season pass for the devil's amusement park. None of us do. None of us want to do that. But he did see the attraction of what the devil was offering, and he was willing to visit the place once or twice, you know, just for funsies. And then we look at Mark chapter 5, verse 9, and this is what we read. Mark 5, verse 9. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. 
What's your name? Asked Jesus. The answer is really chilling if you think about it. What's my name? I know. How about what's our name? Mm. Not my name. Why? Because we're a legion. You know what a legion was? 6,000 trained Roman soldiers, armed, ready for battle. I want you to think of all the recruitment, all the training time, all the time that would be there to acquire the resources to outfit and to give weapons to such a fighting force. That doesn't just happen in one event. That's a little by little by little, piece by piece by piece. That's one sin that was just so innocent, seemingly. One joint. One beer when you're a middle schooler. One glance at a pornographic site on the the computer when you're in fifth grade. One glance at the attractive lady looking lonely at the bar that you've decided to visit after a fight with your wife. It's that one time that you just take a little bit of cash out of the register when no one's watching because you know that it's not going to be missed. See, you don't think of a life trapped in addiction to alcohol when you're at the party. You don't. You, you, you don't think of ruining your kids' lives as you have to go through a devastating divorce caused by your infidelity. You don't think of the prison time that awaits you when your company actually catches up with the discrepancies in their books. I got this. I can stop whenever I want. I don't have a problem. I'm not going to stay here long. This man very well may have said all of those things as he ignored that first rule of the sign. Second of all, sin will keep you there longer than you intend to stay. Uh, if you just look at the description of this guy, starting in verse 2, it says, When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And this man lived in the tombs, and no one could uh, bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had, been, uh, uh, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. And... Uh, There's scary movies out there where people get trapped in an old abandoned amusement park. And it really is scary. You you think, oh, no, no, this would be great. I'd love to be trapped in an amusement park. Never never works out that way. Never does. You know, the the irony is that this, this guy, you know, the irony of that kind of thing makes it scary. Here's a man who is now living in tombs, the place of the dead, and it's no longer his choice to be there. It's no longer his choice to stay there. The chains that he wears that that have been broken still represent the fact that he is bound and can no longer go back to society. He can no longer be a part of his family. He is no longer able to recognize what is good and right and distinguish it from what is wrong and evil and harmful to both himself and others. He's been there a long, long time and now he can't get out. The longer we stay... The more we surrender, and we're ignoring that second rule of the sign. Third, sin will cost you more than you intended to pay. And this this rule is inevitable. Sin costs, folks. It costs. It will cost you your identity. This man was not living as a man anymore. He was a beast. He'd given up that God image inside of him. He'd given up his identity as a human. It'll cost you your dignity. Here's a man who would not even feel embarrassed by his nakedness anymore. 
And it will cost you, sin will cost you your ability to reason and your ability to stay in control of your life. Sin will lead you farther than you ever intended to go. It will keep you there longer than you intended to stay. And it will cost you more than you intended to pay. So, that's one side of the spot the difference story. By the end of the story, though, in regard to this man, can we spot the difference? Well, look, let's look at 14 and 15. Here we go. Here's 14 and 15. It says, uh, though, oh my, where am I? There, Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town. Remember how the, the demons left the man and went into the pigs? The pigs went into the water. Those who were tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They see the man, and here it is. He's sitting there. He's not wild. He's not running around. He's not cutting himself. He's sitting there. He's dressed, he's no longer naked, and he's in his right mind. What an encounter with a living God can do for you. You cannot overlook what Jesus did for this man. First of all, Jesus came to the man. He came to the man. It seems as if you look at the entire context of this part of Mark's gospel, is that Jesus did nothing else in this region. He showed up. He talked to this guy, he, he brought healing to this man's life, and then he left. It was like, that's what he wanted to do. He came over here just for that reason. He left ministry. He was, t- he was teaching large crowds. Uh, I'm sure his disciples were saying, why, why, why? I mean, this is successful. Let's stay here. This is good. We got a, a, a huge crowd coming. Jesus goes, no, <clears throat> I need to go do something. And then there's a storm that hits. You wonder if maybe the storm was uh, the, the evil forces trying to stop Jesus from getting to where he was supposed to go because they know what he was getting ready to do. And the disciples might have looked at and said, this was a mistake. Why did, why did we leave the shore? Why did we get into this boat? Why, now, now we've got this storm. And then once they land on the other side and they see this guy running at them, I'm sure they, they think it was a mistake. <laughs> oh, man. Jesus came to him. Why? Because the man could not come to Jesus. How often do we just say, well, hey, we have the doors open. People should be coming to hear about Jesus on a Sunday morning. Think about people in your life that would never do that. Maybe we need to be bringing Jesus to them rather than requiring them to, to get their, their selves to church and, and, and in the pew. So Jesus came to him. Number two, Jesus cherished him. Jesus cherished him. While other people would have seen him as a lunatic, a madman, a beast, Jesus said, when he was casting the demons out, he says, come out of this man. You see, Jesus still valued him for his humanity. He knew he was a man. He had not lost his identity to Jesus, and Jesus cherished him, valued him, come out of the man. You and I, we might say, boy, that man is a drunk, and Jesus says, boy, that drunk is a man. Hmm. How often do we use labels 
to, 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 to justify us not really wanting to deal with the homeless or, 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 the, or the drunk or, or the uh, pregnant and, and unmarried or the addicted or the profane or the messed up or the dysfunctional or the dirty. And that's what they become. And they've lost their value and we don't cherish them. But Jesus cherished this man. Come out of this man. He saw what the man had always was supposed to be and what he always could be. Number three, Jesus cured him, obviously. But it wasn't just his behavior that was cured. Oftentimes in church, that's all we care about. Just be good. Just be good. Just, just don't, don't, run, don't run off on your wife. Just be good. All we care about is your actions, that you're moral. Yeah, this guy's not running around wild anymore. He's no longer cutting himself. He's no longer uh, threatening anybody. So I'm sure that the people in the town would have been fine. Oh, good, good. We've taken care of his behavior. He's sitting there. But he's sitting there, and he's now in his right mind. You see, Jesus wasn't just concerned with changing a behavior of a man. He knew that that, uh, you could have this beautiful marble headstone in a cemetery, and underneath that headstone is a bunch of dead bones. You might even have a nice epitaph in a, in a beautiful, elegant font. You've just dressed up death. That's why Jesus rebukes the religious leaders so often. That because they put on a good show, but their hearts were far away from God. They were not obedient. So it was not enough for Jesus to just have this guy sitting, acting good. Now, Jesus did far more than that. He redeemed him. Now, now, now we understand redemption is buying back. But this, uh, this last week, as I was talking to uh, one of my friends, we were talking about Jubilee. And, and the whole idea of being... Uh, Jubilee was the 50th year in the Jewish calendar where everything was supposed to go back to its owner. So if you had indentured yourself as a servant, you got to go free on the 50th year, the, the, the year of Jubilee. If you had sold a, land, a piece of your land, your, the property from your family, because you were in debt... On the 50th year, guess what? That land went back to its original owner. So you know what Jesus is doing here? He is going back to this man and saying, I'm returning you to your original owner. This is the year of jubilee for you. (laughs) I love that. I love that. And he renews his mind. I love when Paul tells us in, in, in chapter 12 of Romans, he says, don't be be conformed to the, the pattern of the world, but be transformed transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind to to come back to the right thinking. That's why repentance does mean change your thinking, change the way that you think about things. So Jesus is actually bringing redemption to this man. In casting out the demons, he was declaring the year of jubilee for this man and bringing him back to his original owner, renewing his mind it wasn't like Jesus was just saying, hey, buddy, you're scaring people. Can you just go to the corner right now and take a time out? No, Jesus says, listen, I, I want to change you. I want to cure you. I want to get to the heart of the matter. And I, I'm going to cast these demons out of you and get you in your right mind. So instead of trying and trying and trying and trying and trying to be good, church, maybe what we need today is just to spot the difference in our life, to let the Holy Spirit change how we think about ourselves, how we think about our relationship with God, how we think about what sin really does to us, to our family, to our spouse, 
what sin does to our work life and to our friends, what sin does to our stress levels, and how it robs us of our peace of mind, and how it mars our relationship with God, and, and then watch. Then watch how that is cured when you invite Jesus to come in to renew the way that you think about these kinds of things. Lastly, Jesus covered the man. This was something that always eluded me until my dad preached this one time, and I thought, wow, that's, that's brilliant. I don't want you to miss this. Not only was the man sitting there in his right mind, but he was dressed. He was dressed. See, Jesus doesn't just go halfway in his healing, does he? He, he takes care of all of the issue. Here, this man had been cured. He'd been changed. He'd been transformed. He was, he, he was healed. And just like you, once you came back to Jesus after a time in the wilderness, were there things in your past that are kind of embarrassing? That, that may have made you lose your dignity. You have friends that say, oh yeah, you, you might be a Jesus guy now, but I remember, I know what you used to be like. They can forgive. They can't forget. That's what's so powerful about our God. He not only forgives, but he actually has the ability to forget. He says, I will remember their sin no more. Why? Because he is able to cover us and our shame, just like he did with Adam and Eve, with, with the blood of an animal that was killed there in the garden before they got cast out of the garden. He has covered us with the blood of his son Jesus. The precious blood of Jesus covers us. So when he looks at us, he now sees no more sin. And he's able to forget because we have clothed ourselves, as Romans 13 tells us, we've clothed ourselves with Christ. So Jesus came, he cherished, he cured, he covered. That's why we can spot the difference between those two, those two pictures of this man. Now, I know I'm running out of time, but real quickly, there is a second story, real quick, that I want to show you in this story. A second spot the difference picture. Go back, now let's read the ending of the story, starting in verse 14. Those, again, tending the pigs ran off. They told in the town and the countryside what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw that man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Verse 16, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. What's the, what's the response to this miracle? Get out of here. We don't want you. You're scary. I, I don't know, maybe you've experienced uh, when, when God begins to change things in your life, it gets a little scary sometimes. They're afraid. And what do they do? They beg. They plead with Jesus to leave their region. They don't want anything to do with this kind of power. If, if this man could do this to the demoniac, the, and the demoniac that had kept them in fear so long, what might he do to us? <laughs> Can you please leave? Please leave. We don't want anything to do with this. What a sad story that is. People who had God's power right there in their midst, and they preferred God to just leave them alone. The man has his own request. We, we continue on, verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus didn't let him. He said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis 
which is the region of the ten cities on the east side of the Jordan. Keep that in mind. He began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Can I go with you? Can I go with you, Jesus? This guy knew that he was going to have problems, that people were going to remind him of his past. Uh, He's got to repair bridges that he had burned, uh, the the people that he had hurt and all that kind of stuff. Can, Can I just go with you, Jesus? It would be so much easier. And Jesus says, no. No, you've got a story to tell. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Well, I've told you several times that when you're saved, God's plans for you are just beginning. That's not the end of your journey. That's the beginning of a brand new life, a brand new journey. Now you have a new kingdom to live in, to work for, to build. Now you've been bought with a price, so you're not your own. And Jesus had a mission for this man. Tell your story. And that could have been the end of the story, as we know, except for in two chapters. Go to Mark chapter 7, just for funsies. Go to to Mark 7, starting in verse 31. Here's, Here's the rest of the story. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. Same place. The ten cities. The region of the ten cities to the east of the Jordan. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk and they begged him to place his hands on the man. What's the difference? They're still begging Jesus. Same word, pleading, pleading for Jesus in the same region, the Decapolis. And now what are they pleading? Where they once were pleading for him to leave, now they're pleading for him to act in power in their lives. Can you spot the difference? The difference is not the pleading. It's what they are pleading for. What makes the difference? The man's story. (laughs) That's the only thing that was different was the man stayed there and began to tell people what God had done for him. And now Jesus had fertile ground when he came back to the area. Sounds like the Great Commission to us. To go into all the world as we are living our life, to just go and tell our story as we live our lives, as we go along our path to share with people what God has done for us. Church, Christianity exists because God's plan was to make a difference through Jesus in the lives of individuals and in this world as a whole. Sin had messed up that picture and Jesus comes to make it right again in your life and in the life of all those around you. DC, bring your team on up, please. I pray that you guys have a story. And if you, if you do not have a story, let me tell you, you can have a story. But it means that you have to do what the demon-possessed man had done. Once Jesus showed up, that demon-possessed man, though he yelled out and says, don't have anything to do with us, he knelt at Jesus' feet. When God shows up and people fall at his feet in worship, people change. Things change. Eternal destinies change. And that change represents an amazing story. Now, for those of you who know that you have a story, you now have a mission. Go tell the story. Because when God shows up and changes you, he then leads you to people who need to hear your story. It's not enough for you to just to get to go to heaven. God now wants you to join him in a mission. It's no longer about you, but about God's kingdom. I wonder if that's why I spot the difference games are so compelling to me and to other people. I, I wonder if that God image that we bear deep inside stirs us to, 
to see what's wrong with, with, with my life and with the, the lives around me, to spot the difference and to, to desire to set things right. And in this way, it's easy to understand how both our conversion and our commission are all about spotting the difference. You know, I love you. I love serving as your pastor. It's uh, good to have you guys here and invite you people from home to come and join us. So we still have room in this place, socially distant, and uh, it'd be great to see more of you each week. Uh, but uh, as, as you go out today and this week, live for Jesus. Let him shine through you. You have a, uh, you have a conversion and you have a commission. And spot the difference. Let, let me pray. Father God, thank you so much as we conclude this service. Thank you so much for giving us this amazing challenge. <clears throat> Lord, you want to have a difference in our life. You, you want to make the difference. You want to be the difference in our life to clean us up from the sin mess that we got ourselves into. And so, Lord, I would pray that more and more people would turn to you, would give their lives over to you, that would uh, get on this journey of faith, that would step into the, the waters of baptism, that would uh, be involved in Bible studies and church and, and fellowship, God, so that they can grow and learn and find out what their story is so that they can then turn around and tell that story to other people. God, that's what it's all about. So continue to shine through us. We do love you. And we uh, give you ourselves once again this week. I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.